Thank you so much for joining today. This episode is all about Just Ask Me Anything. We polled several different girls on the wonderful platform that is Instagram about anything I can help you with. So as a mentor, as a mom, as a wife, as a human being who mentors college students, how can I help you in any way? So I wrote down a lot of the questions and we're just going to dive in. But before we do, I want to read you guys the review of the week. This is from KS and Hodge. She says, each new podcast I listen to, I find myself nodding, smiling, taking notes, and mentally saying, preach, Katie, preach. P.S. I love that. She says, because you are speaking my language, these segments are the perfect way to start my day during my drive to work. They are so educational, inspiring, and motivational. Everything a 20-something needs to hear. Girl, thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. It means so much and it helps others find this podcast. Hey, if you guys could take one quick second to leave a review, I would love to be able to feature your review on next week's podcast. My name is Katie Bulmer, a former heartbroken and hungover sorority girl. After I stopped looking for love in all the wrong fraternity boys, God blessed me with a husband who shows Christ's love to me every single day. We are parents of two daughters and thousands of others nationwide, and my heart behind everything I do is to give you truths. The world is screaming at you a bunch of lies, and I don't want you to hear those loud voices. I want you to hear the true voices. Grab your earbuds, grab a chai tea, and let's talk about some truth for your 20s. The first question is, how do you deal with having anxiety about the future? And I think she was specifically talking about the anxiety with jobs. What I would say to that is, first of all, take a deep breath and remember that everything is as it should be. I know that sometimes, especially when you first get into the job market, you're in a dead-end job or you feel like, why am I here? Why am I in this relationship or in this state or you know, working for this boss who is a complete jerk? Remember that it is as it should be. My very first job, my first big girl job, once I got my diploma, was working in advertising. And it was a great job, but I worked for a very not nice boss. And I learned a lot through that job. So I see now that what I learned is I learned how to work Photoshop. I learned how to do commercial editing, which helps me now do editing for promotion. I learned how to, you know, do cold calls, reaching out to businesses. I learned so much. But in the meantime, I was working for a woman who would just send emails that would like burn the arm hairs off your arm. She was so mean. And she would tell myself and all the other young people that we worked for, like, just you wait, you know, just basically saying once you get to be in your 30s, you're going to be overweight, unhappy and miserable, like, thanks for that pep talk, boss lady. So she just made our work environment very toxic. However, walking through that stunk on some days, but it was also giving me so many skills for what I do now. And I see that so clearly now. Those five years I spent in that job gave me so many skills for what I'm doing now. So rest knowing that even though your job or where you might be geographically or in this hard season might be hard, it is setting you up for something awesome. I promise. Because like we only see this little bitty stitch, but God is creating this huge tapestry. Okay. 
The next question is, how do you stay inspired? Well, I love that question. First of all, I listen to a lot of people. They're a lot smarter than me. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Some of my favorite are Annie Downs. Annie Downs, That Sounds Fun podcast. I listen to Jenna Kusher. I I don't read as much as my husband. My husband's a way better reader than I am, but I listen to Audible books sometimes. What I just finished is that Priscilla Schreier fervent, talking about how to pray. If you are not sure how to pray or want to take some praying to change the world, read that book. That is full of fire. It's so good. And I, so I'm not consistent about doing any of these things every day because I'm just not a consistent person. I would like to be. But at least three days a week, I have a, it's called Start My Life from Quiet, which is where I read about a page of, of scripture and I journal some things of how that meant to me, you know, just kind of my takeaways. And then I have a journal, it's called your Start Today Journal, where I write down five things I'm grateful for and 10 things that I want to accomplish. The trick is you write them down as if they already happened. For example, I write down that I make enough money with this dream job, this sorority girls can change the world job to be able to be my main job, not just my hobby. Many of you guys may not know, but I still have a job. I work from home selling t-shirts, hats, pins, koozies, all of that kind of stuff. I am so thankful for that job. It is flexible and allows me the earning potential to fund this dream job of speaking truth to my younger friends, but I don't make enough money doing this dream job to, you know, be able to pursue it full time. So that's just one dream I call out. I also call out that I am a prayer warrior, that I have a clean and organized home, which on my best days I do, but not always. And just calling out things as if they have already happened to just try and trick your brain to tell yourself you are that girl. It's kind of magical. If this practice sounds familiar, this is not something I made up. It is from the Rachel Hollis Start Today Journal. If you are driving or on the treadmill or not able to take notes, don't worry. I'm super excited. We are actually able to now offer show notes. So when you head to katiebulmer.life, you'll be able to find the links to all of these resources I'm talking about today. That is made possible by two amazing interns who are helping me out. So I just want to give a little podcast love shout to Ivy Young and Macy Hansen, two college students who help bring this podcast to you guys every week and now offering show notes to you as well. So I'm going to have the links to everything I mentioned today in the show notes. One other thing I do several days a week is prayer walking. I'm a very ADD kind of person, so I do like journaling, but I can't just like pray in my closet because I'll fall asleep. But going on a walk, literally, I just go on a walk in our neighborhood and I talk out loud, not like weirdly, not super loud. No one's called the cops on me as of yet, but maybe just kind of like talk quietly. Sometimes I put my AirPods on so I don't seem too crazy, but I prayer walk and I love this because it's, it's just like having a conversation with God. And I just go around and I, I like to pray for marriages in our neighborhood, just pray for families because I feel like families are the building blocks, the foundation of the home. And so just praying for marriages in our neighborhood. And then I also love to pray for my Greek friends, my sorority and fraternity friends, not specifically, but just in general, I pray for sorority men and women to rise up and to be the change we want to see. 
You know that I am very passionate about sorority men and women being trendsetters because they are. Marketing 101 will tell you that they are huge trendsetters. And I have a passion and a dream for these Greek men and women in our current generation to be trendsetters for positive change. Okay, here is a good question. Actually, two girls asked, what advice would you give a sorority girl that is struggling to seek a relationship with Jesus, but surrounded by sisters seeking the partying culture, typical Greek life experience? Well, this kind of goes back to defining your everyone, right? Because yes, by and large, sorority women are partiers, and that is what they're known for, and I am fighting with everything I can to change that stereotype. And I meet women over and over again when I go to different schools who actually want to be different in Greek life, who actually want to stand up for their faith and stand up for causes that they're passionate about, but they're afraid to stand up. So what I would say is there are probably... I would almost guarantee there are women in your circle who who do want to stand out for their faith, who do want to deepen their relationship in their walk with Christ, but are scared of thinking that they're the only ones, and you are the same way. In your college years, everyone else is just looking for someone else to be brave. You get the opportunity to give someone else the gift of going first, giving the gift of being brave first. I write about this in my book, but I witnessed this at a Greek prayer night back at Georgia Southern where they had a, a group prayer night, which was a really cool opportunity, by the way. I highly recommend it. But they had the band playing and, you know, they kind of had to say, come forward if you want prayer. And at first, no one would come forward. And then one brave girl would stand up, walk forward, and come to her knees and start praying. That one girl opened up the floodgates and like within 60 seconds there was 20 to 30 people up there praying on their knees you know just praying for for themselves for Grigro I don't know what they were praying for but the point is she was brave enough to go forward first which opened up the floodgates for other people to come forward so you far more than you realize you are surrounded by people wanting especially to stand up for their faith they're just scared so are you willing and able to be the brave person who's willing to go first i would ask what hangs in the balance if you don't sure you can continue to kind of live this i say i'm a christian but that's the only thing about me that is i go to church once every bicentennial or you know, I pray at dinner, so therefore I have an amazing relationship with the Lord. Or you can, I want this fire. I want to have a faith that is real. You know, they have done studies on this, and they say that your generation is seeking what is real. What truly is genuine faith? And you, especially as college students, you don't know, and you're seeking. What does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to be a Christian on Greek Row? friends, you get the opportunity to define it. There's not enough examples. So maybe you can be that example. Maybe you can be the girl who leads a Bible study on her campus. Maybe you can be the girl who quietly morning after morning has her prayer and devotion time and is the one that her sisters go to when they are in need of prayer. You know, this can look so many different ways, but you can be the person who defines what it looks like to be a Christian on Greek Row. If you're afraid, congratulations. That means you're human. Every leader of every movement in the history of mankind 
has been afraid. What makes you stand apart is being willing to walk forward with that fear. Let me give you an example. There's two girls that I mentored that were best friends. Best friends actually back in high school. They came to the same school. They pledged the same sorority. So from high school into college had been best friends this whole way. Well, when they first got to college, they kind of went wild their freshman year, you know, parties and booze and all the things. And really shortly after that, just about a couple months in, Rebecca was like, Uh, you know, I don't really want to do this anymore. Like, I've had a taste of that. That was all lovely and everything, but I don't really want this to define me. And Christy actually felt the same way, but both of them were too afraid to tell each other. It was the craziest thing. We were actually in the middle of one of our coffee groups. It was us and several other young women, and they kind of like were dancing around the subject, but Rebecca was like, um, you know, I I had this party lifestyle, but I don't want that to define me. I want to stand up and be a light within my sorority. And you can just kind of see Christy's eyes lit up because she felt the same way. Neither of them wanted this party lifestyle. Like they just kind of walked into college and did what, quote, everyone else was doing. But then they both were like, oh, this is not all it's cracked up to be. Side note, isn't that sin in general? Satan is a smart dude. And he makes sin just, it's alluring, it's appetizing. We're uh, drawn to it in a way. You know, at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, that apple was shiny and pretty, dare I even say sexy. Plus, God told him not to eat that apple, so it's double like, mmm, it's off limits and it's sexy. Therefore, what are they focusing on? the apple. That's the oldest sin in the book. That's like, you know, the party lifestyle. This has so been done before. People say, ooh, boys, sex, alcohol, all the things. It looks so pretty on the outside. But I've never met anyone who says, oh, I just have a terrible hangover and had a one night stand. And by golly, I feel great about myself the next day. No one does that because sin is sexy on the outside. But once you bite that apple, it's like you just feel all of the shame and guilt and gunk come over you. That is the oldest sin in the book. It's all shiny and pretty and sexy from the outside. But once you jump in and dive in and have a taste of that, you realize how it's just kind of grody and leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Think about the celebrities who have all of the everything, you know, fame, fortune, beauty, sex, all the things that people are are reaching toward, and they are divorced and suicidal and depressed. Is that what we want? Do we want to have all of this fame and partying and beautifulness? Is that a word? All the beauty and fame and riches don't buy you happiness. Like it looks pretty on the outside, but it ain't. Back to Christy and Rebecca, the point is they both wanted to live above the influence. They both tasted the sinful apple and they said, it sure did look a lot prettier on the outside than when I bit into it. And they said, I don't want this lifestyle anymore. It took them having that kind of awkward conversation before they both realized Neither of them wanted to party, and they were both on the same page. But the point is, if you are willing to stand up and say, I don't want to live the party lifestyle like it, quote, everyone else is doing, I almost guarantee you, you will have others beside you say, 
Me too. I don't want that either. Can we talk? Can we go to coffee? And listen, I want you to have fun. Have fun always, if not always. But can we define fun? Because again, drinking until you throw up is not fun. Wondering if that guy really likes you when you give pieces of your body away is not fun fun, sister. We all know this to be true. So redefine fun. You can have fun in some incredible ways and it will be so much more fun if you are the one who is brave and saying, I want to live above the influence. I want to make my faith a priority and to see those other sorority girls beside you say, me too. Ooh, you're going to start a movement that matters. This is my passion that I've just kind of talked about for years now. And I see sorority women as trendsetters. My marketing background saw the $100 million power of influence sorority women have over trends. What if you guys set a trend for faith on Greek Row? What if the the world's trendsetters, the ones who make $100 million things, made the name of Jesus great on Greek Row? Listen, he doesn't need us to set trends. He can light Greek Row on fire in an instant if he wants to. But he loves his sons and daughters on Greek Row. He knows the incredible, trend-setting, movement-making, fire-breathing, world-changing people you guys are. What if you guys got behind the movement of making Jesus' name great? What if you guys started Bible studies and stood up for your faith? You are not going to get it all right, and that is perfectly fine. You are going to fall sometimes too. You don't have to be a perfect Christian before you decide to step out and decide to seek that lifestyle. None of us are. None of us on this side of heaven have it all figured out. But one brave foot in front of the other, one step at a time defining what it looks like to be a Christian on Greek Row. Guess what? That can start today with you in your sorority, in your town, on your campus. Tag me on Instagram when your campus has a total revival for Jesus because of the trendsetters on Greek Row who made it possible. Here is a good question. What are some recommendations for books on dating? I don't know why I'm so passionate about this. I think it's just kind of, well, I do know why, because I dated a lot of losers and I'm so passionate about you guys. Gosh, I just see so much freaking potential in this beautiful, world-changing women, young women that I get to meet. And when they are dating, they're in a toxic relationship. I'm just like, why? Why? And so I have read a ton of books and podcasts and all the things helping you, first of all, educating myself because I didn't know any better when I was your age, and then helping you to make wise decisions in dating. Some of the books that I recommend for dating are The Sacred Search by Gary Thomas. Huge, hugely recommend this book. He also wrote Sacred Marriage, but when you're dating, you need to read The Sacred Search. Very, very, very good book. Also, today, you need to watch the sermon series by Andy Stanley called The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. Incredible, easily to digest, so freaking good. Also, Stephanie Mae Wilson, my friend, just came out with a prayer journal, and it is designed to help you pray for your future spouse without making him an idol, which leads us to our next question. Someone asked, how can I pray for my future spouse without, like, letting that just fill my mind? Okay, I have a lot to say about that. My first thought is, I have a friend, one of my best friends here in Chattanooga, Hayliz, is a single lady. 
But instead of just, you know, staying home and waiting for a boyfriend, and I realize that you're not like sitting home like a Rapunzel waiting for your Prince Charming to climb up your hair. That sounds extravagant. But anyway, you're not just sitting around. But what I see my friend Liz doing is just becoming her best version of herself. And it's so beautiful because she is an entrepreneur, started her business from scratch, now has 10 people working for her. Meanwhile, she just booked a trip to Italy this summer. She's going to Italy. She goes hiking almost every weekend. She just she just went to Charleston to this conference of a speaker that she really likes. So becoming the best version of yourself is 1,000 times more attractive than just being focused solely on a dude. I would say making it your idol is when you think about it all the time. That's all you focus on. So if you can shift that and focus on becoming the best version of yourself. And there are several different areas areas of wellness, but what I'd love for you to think about is physical wellness. So that's like maybe going to the gym. And remember, going to the gym is not about the way you look as much as it is the way you feel, gaining that self-confidence. Spiritual wellness, getting the relationship you want with your maker. I, I think that a lot of times we get confused of, I need to read my Bible more. I need to quote-unquote, earn my salvation. But God never asked you to earn anything. He already paid the price at the cross. And so we are just, it's a practice more so for us of accepting that and learning His character and just becoming more and more, you know, just intimate with our Maker who already paid the price for us. And as we develop that relationship, we realize our worth, which kind of bleeds into all of our areas of life. So that's physical wellness, spiritual wellness, relational wellness, and that is so many things, but obviously having a good relationship with yourself and then also maybe some friendships. There might be some toxic relationships that you need to kind of work on or cut ties. Maybe there's a a parent issue, a long overdue talk with a father or a mother or whatever it may be. So those are some, some things to think of. So that's, let's see, physical wellness, spiritual wellness, relational wellness, and then also mental wellness. So we talked a little bit about that with relationships, but mental wellness is a huge topic in society right now. Everyone's so anxious because our cell phones ding all the time and a million other reasons. We're desperate for likes on the internet, whatever. But there's a lot of mental anxiety out there. So those are ways that you can work on becoming the best version of yourself. And what is more attractive? A girl who's sitting around saying, oh, this guy will complete me, which by the way is not true. I'm sorry, Jerry Maguire, you made a cute movie, but that is not actual life. So waiting around for a guy to complete you versus becoming that best version of yourself that is 4,000 times more attractive. Okay, we talked about recommendations on books for dating. How do you stay inspired? how to get anxiety away from the future. How about now? How, oh goodness, this question, y'all. How do you know when to drop your sorority? Well, I think that women drop their sorority more often than they need to. And it seems to me, yes, there are reasons to drop. And yes, there are environments that are healthy for you to be out, like, you need to sometimes be out of a sorority. But what I see more often than not is girls just getting frustrated for whatever reason and saying they can't afford it when in actuality they just don't want to be a part of it anymore. I would argue you need to be the change you want to see. 
because a group of human beings, whether it's a sorority, whether it's a church, whether it's a club for knitting, because uh, that's a popular club for 20-year-olds to be a part of, whatever club organization group of human beings you are a part of, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be people who don't get along, and there's going to be frustrations. Welcome to planet Earth. But if you are able to, you know, despite those frustrations, to love those sisters, despite their annoyances, and again, to be that change you want to see, you're going to be the reason that the next new generation of new sisters are going to love that sorority. You're going to be the reason that this sorority is top in your Panhellenic. You can be the reason that this sorority takes a huge shift. So I understand you have frustrations and you may want to drop, but I would let that be your very, very last choice. Instead, I would first do like 10 things to become the change you want to see and change that sorority for the better. And for heaven's sakes, Be a positive light within your sisters. You don't have to have all 200 of them to be your best friend, but within your circle of of friendships, be a positive light, my friends. Okay, hopefully you don't drop your sorority. Next question, how can I get through rush week? Well, that's similar to what we just kind of talked about, but I actually created a free PDF on my website It's just how to find your letters, how to find your best Greek letters. So it just helps you think through some important questions like, where do I see myself in this sorority? What type of women, what type of group am I looking for? And I say this all the time, but I 110% want you to know the creed, the motto, the founding sisters' names of the sorority that you pledge and also the sorority that you're looking at being affiliated with because every sorority stands for some beautiful things, but it makes me want to pull my hair out when members don't know what those things are. So know what your sorority stands for, and if you are pledging or looking to rush a certain sorority, know what they stand for know why it's important because sorority is a beautiful thing we just need to remember it's not just about t-shirts and cute shoes boom boom Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this conversation. I just need to let you know real quick, I am booking speaking dates and I would absolutely love to come to your college and tell the sorority women at your school, you guys can change the world. I need to be real with you guys for a quick minute. I was an advisor for two years. I was in the room as we had to listen to the just to be real boring speakers that they had to book to kind of check that check mark for women's empowerment or for risk reduction or for sisterhood. And I sat in those boring meetings watching the girls roll their eyes and try to pay attention. And when I started my own speaking journey, I vowed to be anything but boring. I was speaking at a school up in Northern Tennessee not too long ago, and I had a girl come up to me afterwards who said, I brought my homework content to completely ignore this mandatory speaker, just knowing it would be boring. And I did not even take out my homework. You have no idea how everything you said resonates with me. And that was the most just powerful review I've ever had. And just a reminder that I'm exactly where God wants me to be. And I'm just so thankful for this opportunity to speak truth to you guys. And I would just love to be able to speak truth to your chapter.
I am booking now for speaking dates for spring semester. Now, if you're interested in what I talk about, go back to episode 11. I share the keynote that I shared at Mississippi State all about why I believe sorority girls can change the world. It's my marketing background, how I saw you guys have a $100 million power of influence over the marketplace. That is your actual trend-setting power why and how you can use this power to set trends that matter, change the dating world, change the world with your buying power, serve the community in your college town, and the sisterhood that makes every great movement possible. I have a faith-based and a non-faith-based message. So as we have a conversation about me coming to your school, we can talk about what works best for the women in your Panhellenic. I've spoken at Panhellenic meetings, chapter retreats, chapter meetings, pretty much anywhere there is sorority women who need to know they're so much more amazing than the world tells them, they can freaking change the world. And I have proof. All the details you need are on my website, katiebulmer.life. But you guys, I'm super easy to get in touch with. You can DM me on Instagram, which I also made super easy. My handle is at katiebulmerlife. Tell the people on your executive board how to get in touch with me because I would love to have a conversation about bringing the sorority girls can change the world message to your school. Okay, timeline for life was the next question. How do I know how do I know when I've like reached a certain timeline or do I need to be married by a certain date? Do I need to have kids by a certain date? Friends, guess what? There is good news. There is no timeline for life. You do not need to have a boyfriend by a certain date. You do not need to be married by a certain date. You need to do what is best for you. And if all of your friends are getting married, let me first of all, Let's just define everyone because something that also drives me a little bit insane is when people say, everyone I know is getting married. What you mean is the four girls in your circle of friends are getting married. That is not everyone. You know what? Everyone is not wearing a sweater right now as I am in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Everyone is not looking at the clock where it says 12.43 p.m., Everyone is such a small, minuscule view of the world. So when you say everyone is getting married, that is just not true. <laughs> you need to define your everyone. Let me first of all say define your everyone. Who, who do you surround yourself with? Also, let's look to do we really want to be like everyone else? Because last time I took a look around, quote, everyone is unhealthy, addicted, depressed, full of anxiety, and doesn't know where they're going in life. Do you really want to be like everyone else? Define who surrounds you and then define, do you really want to be like those people? I am a big believer that you are only as strong as the five people you surround yourself with. So the people that you're around might be getting married. It doesn't mean that they're bad human beings, but make sure you surround yourself with people who are just a positive influence on you. I'm kind of getting on a different track here, but make sure you surround yourself with people who are speaking truth, encouraging you. And again, getting back to sororities, that is the why we exist as a sorority. Iron sharpening iron. Women 
calling each other to be the best version of ourselves. That was the very first dreams of all your sororities. So surrounding yourself with incredible people who lift and encourage you is what will get you back to this beautiful dreams of sisterhood and also get you back to just becoming that best version of yourself. Now, if all of your everyone, all of these great people are getting married, that is just a season of life. That is just this temporary, maybe one to two years of your life. You have a whole long life before and after that little bitty season when it seems like, quote, everyone is getting married. That is just I just want you to take a zoomed out view because that little bitty season and this little bitty sample of human beings is not everyone and it is not all the time. There are so much bigger views to just what you see right now. Okay, Whew, that was fun. Now we talked about... I did not hear you coming at all. I know. He scared the I was afraid I'd scare you. That was awesome. Brian just came in and he, I'm on campus where he works, and Brian just came in and we're going to answer the rest of these questions together. This was not planned, but this is going to be fun. All right, Brian. Okay, so we talked about how there's no timeline for life. Preach to that, right? Because people think that like they have to get married at a certain age or have babies by a certain age or whatever. Hey, being I thought you did a good job. Oh, did you hear that? Okay. Oh, hey, I'm about to talk about you. Look. The father of my children. Oh. Y'all can think this is planned. This is totally not planned. Okay. So when Mally, my friend, and I were just having coffee, she had a question. And it was, you know, a lot of times when you're young, you're looking at a boyfriend. You're looking at someone who's fun to hang out with and stuff like that. What I challenge a lot of girls to do is think about, is this guy going to be the father our future children need? Because... The gift you get to do as a young person is choose the fathers of our next generation. Now, a lot of 20-year-olds are not thinking about that. They're saying, I just want to have fun. That's cute and everything, but what really happens is we're just, quote, having fun, and then, you know, a year goes by, there's emotions wrapped up. There might have been physical intimacy wrapped up, and then all of these things get wrapped up in this, quote, just having fun, And then a year later, you're looking back and saying, "Um, well, there's a lot invested in this. And I ask you to back way on up and think about before you even get into that relationship, what am I looking for? And so what you need to be looking for and thinking about is the fathers of our next generation. I know you're thinking, Katie, listen, sister, I am 20 years old. I am just having fun. I do not need to think about all that future stuff. But again, this just having fun leads to things and leads to a lot of decisions and emotions and a place you don't want to end up if you don't have a plan and intentional decisions before you get all wrapped up into this relationship. So I was just thinking of examples of things that Brian gives me so many good examples of what it looks like to have the kind of guy you're looking for when you're 20. Okay, so here's some examples. Just this morning, it is our daughter's 12th birthday. She just turned 12. We were just changing her diapers like five minutes ago, and now she's 12. What the heck, man? But she's 12 years old, and so this morning, like without even me even planning anything, Brian's like, all right, let's wake her up. And so he goes upstairs, and we sing in her a song, and we're dancing, and we're having fun, and that's just the fun kind of personality he has. But there's so many other things like... I know that Brian comes home every day as soon as he can. I don't have to think about him wanting to go to happy hour or wanting him to go hang out, you know, with coworkers because he wants to get home for our family. Not only that, he leaves 30 minutes early 
so he can be at work 30 minutes, so he can be home 30 minutes earlier, so we can have dinner together as a family. These are just little decisions that I saw early on that I knew that he would be the kind of father our children wanted and needed. And he was also always, like, led me to Christ. So I am for sure, like, up and down and get distracted very easily, and my emotions can sometimes get the best of me. And he is so constant and always pointing to, okay, how does this lead us to a positive outcome? You know, how he's always steady and always pointing me to just the cross, really, and always pointing me to the positive outcome. And so those are some things you can think about in looking for that future husband. What are those characteristics that he can be the father our future children need one day? Oh, that was good stuff. I was going to add to what yeah. you just said, if that's okay. Bring it up here. So, um, I know one of the things that I would say to you is that a lot of times when people are in college or you're, is that they think, oh, well, this person will change when they get married. But a lot of times in life, um, the habits that we make while we're in college, they last us a lifetime. So if we make poor decisions with money while we're in college, generally those habits stick with us outside of college. If we um, make poor relationship decisions while we're in college, generally that's the type of relationships we're used to. So later on in life when we think we found Mr. Right or Ms. Right, we don't feel like we're capable of being in a relationship with that person because of the miscues that we had along the way. So one of the things I would encourage you to think about is just the fact that decisions that you make in college will last you a lifetime. Preach. Okay, this is a total bonus, you guys, but Brian used to, he worked for two years in financial literacy, teaching college students how to handle money. We were trained with the Dave Ramsey organization on how to like teach other people how to be a financial coach and all that kind of stuff. As a bonus, can you like just nuts and bolts of how to handle money when you're 20? That's a lot. I know. But like, yeah, what, what do you teach young people on how to handle money? I mean, I think the, the basics all come back and forth to what do you have coming in versus what you have going out. And I think another thing when you're in college that you have to realize is that borrowed money is not free money. It's money that you have to pay back. And every dollar you borrow now is money plus interest you'll have to pay later on in life. That can be detrimental as you're starting your career, as you're trying to start a family. Statistically, we know that debt is causing people to get married later in life, causing people to purchase homes later in life, causing people to start families later in life, all because of the debt that they're acquiring in school. And I'm not saying that you don't have to borrow when it comes to school, but what I am saying is it's so easy to borrow that a lot of times we click two things and we go, oh, look at this free money, and we don't look at anything else. One of the things that we have to realize is that it's not free. Um, we have to pay it back. And I would encourage you to be involved in making sure that you understand that, okay, this money is borrowed. I need to use it for this purpose and only borrow what you need. You don't have to accept the full amount. You can actually accept less. But then the other thing is have a written monthly budget. If you borrow X and you feel like, hey, this is the only way I can get through school or you have a job, well, how can you make that money last you? Because it, just in any area of life, if you don't make a plan, then things aren't going to go the way you want them to. I mean, if you're trying to gain weight, you got to make sure that you're adding calories. If you're trying to cut weight, you got to make sure you're decreasing your calories. And the best way to do that is track it. You got to make sure, you know, when it comes to money, if you're saving up for something, that you're putting aside X amount to get to where you want to go. That's the basic nuts and bolts. And then from there, it's just a matter of what are wise decisions. But if you can make sure that your in go is equal to or greater than your outgo, you're going to be set up for life because the average millionaire doesn't go into debt for cars. They don't set themselves up with a ton of debt from college. They think through things 
And a lot of people who've had what most people would consider low-paying jobs for their lives make really good money and retire very wealthy because of the wise decisions that they make um, with their money. And you can too, even as a 20-something college student. I love what you say that money is so much more about your behavior than your income. You know this, but my granddad... He lived till he was 93 years old, never made over $30,000 a year, always made some 20-something thousand dollars a year. When he died, he had no debt, and he had thousands of dollars, like tens of thousands, I don't know how much, tens of thousands of dollars in the bank. He was not a Rockefeller. He never made millions of dollars. He made less, he made in the 20s thousands of dollars every year, but it was the behavior, not the income. And so I don't want you to think like, oh, well, I can't be debt-free. I can't make wise decisions with money unless I'm making you know, $100,000 a year. No, it is your habits, not your income. Exactly, yep. It makes a huge difference. So even if you make less, if you make wise decisions with your money, your money will do you a lot better than somebody who might make more but makes very poor decisions with their money. Can you share real quick about how, like, the statistics about how uh, college students are moving back home when they're not smart with their money? Yeah, it's roughly about 60% of college students move back home after they graduate college. And the sad thing is, is I, when I would do orientations and I would ask students, how many of you plan to move back home? In the three years I did orientations, I only had one student say that, and I think their parent prompted them to. Yeah. Um, but, and usually it's only a handful of parents who say, oh yeah, I want little Billy to come back home. It's normally, you know, no, once they leave the house, they need to be out on their own and developing their life that way. So a lot of people come back home because they can't afford to live on their own once they graduate. They're, you know, between their car debt, their school debt, and their credit card debt, they're making a $1,000 payment. They're only making about $3,000 a month, which is decent money. I mean, that's $36,000 a year take home. That's not bad money, especially for a starting job. But when a thousand of us go into car debt, it takes you another thousand to have a decent place to live. That leaves you a thousand dollars for everything else your entertainment, your food, your clothes, your car repairs, everything else. And so it's just not enough um, money to make it last. So people are going back home and they're going back home in droves and they're staying home because it's like 40% are still home at age 30. Mm. Um, and that makes it really hard to find the person you want to marry in life and develop that good relationship because you're living at home with mom and dad and, and you know and there are rules about being home at 10 o'clock because they're old and they go to bed <laughs> early or, or maybe that's just me but uh anyways you know so those are just different things to think about when it comes to your personal finances yeah make a plan make a plan for dating make a plan for your money uh and don't hold yourself to like a certain deadline you don't have to be married and have 2.5 kids in a white picket fence by the time you're 30 like it is not a race it is a journey i think we're gonna end on that sounds great all right Deuces, homies. Did you enjoy this episode? Did I say anything that resonated with you? It would mean the world to me to hear your feedback. Just take a screenshot of this episode, share it on Instagram, tag me so I can thank you, or you can share from Spotify. They make it really easy to share the link to your Snapchat, Facebook, or Instagram. Share it with a friend, but just please help us share it because as I said a million times, sorority girls are trendsetters and it would mean the world for you to help me get the word out about this podcast. Thanks for joining me, friends, and I hope that you're walking away today with some truth for your 20s.